Hello and welcome to The Right Idea, where we discuss the people, policy, and politics that drive Texas. I'm Brian Phillips, Chief Communications Officer at the Texas Public Policy Foundation, and with me as always is our Vice President of Policy, Derek Cohen. Hey Derek, how's how's the session going so far? I, I miss sleep. I miss sleep. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that. You know, just get the the grind. You know, you see yep. people on Twitter, or you hear people talking about it in emails and and all that about the you know the grind of, of session. Mm-hmm. What is it? I mean, for those, yeah. I mean, I you know, even though I'm around it and, and everything, I don't actually go up to the Capitol near as much as you guys. But you guys are like burning holes in your shoes, mm-hmm. uh, heading up there, and I see people walk in front of our building all the time. Like, what's that grind like? Well, to be honest, with you, it's not it, it's not terrible if you know what to expect and, and and how to manage it. But essentially, it is basically the aggregate of, you know, early committee hearings in the morning that end early and sometimes roll over until after the floor session. Really long, uh, drawn-out floor sessions, oftentimes with, uh, you know, some noted uh, fights on the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once they adjourn, they go to, you know, they go to the uh, afternoon sessions. And I just, you know... Was, those can uh, become the evening and the early morning sessions. It, absolutely. And yesterday, you know, just for example... Um, you know, we were, uh, you know, monitoring, uh, you know, the Senate floor. Uh, they were talking about the DEI bill. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, you know, yesterday there was, the USA played uh, Mexico in uh, international friendly. We had some folks over at the building just to watch it while some of the committees were going <laughs> on. And after that game was over around 11:15 p.m., uh, just channel over to uh, the House hearings and uh, State Affairs, and Brent's going talking about mm-hmm. uh, the grid. And I was like, "Well, that kind of uh, kind of illustrates what, what we're looking at here." Kind of sums up a full day for uh, for folks um, up at the Capitol. So there's, only, there's only you know four of them a week. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, well, the good news is is that if you know, in order to refresh, you know, from the from the tough grind, today is is officially State Puppy Day or something <laughs> up at the State Capitol, <laughs> where they have a bunch of. I guess it's for um, you know for adoption awareness or something like that. Did you have a chance to go and rejuvenate yourself with uh, by petting <laughs> some puppies? No, no. As much as I would have loved to, though, um, you know, had a meeting of the Judicial Advisory Council this morning, so had to do a bit of a shuttle run from here uh, to the spree, uh, to the Court of Criminal Appeals and back. And uh, I did I did notice. Them, and I think they're doing it in conjunction with a uh, Capital Staff Appreciation Day. Okay, uh, so they're setting up a little, uh, you know, little area for food, and you know, I think that it, that kind of really sums up uh, life inside the Capitol. When uh, to show Capital uh, Staff Appreciation, you let them, you know, love on some uh, cuddly puppies. I think yeah, that that's cool. uh, that's necessary this time of the so cuddly puppies and maybe a margarita or a glass of wine or something to show some appreciation. <laughs> I can't speak to the latter, but I can speak to the puppies. You know. <laughs> um, all right, so let's get into the show. Um, you know, as always, I like to do. A little bit of housekeeping, a little promotion from some uh, products that we that we like to uh, promote here um, on our on our podcast. A couple things. One, I always say this every week, but our, our our weekly newsletter that goes out every Thursday called the Post. You can find it at texaspolicy.com/slash/the-post. It's a culmination of all the things that we work on every day, so we don't get to every issue uh, here on the podcast uh, every week, but we do like to touch on most things uh, in the uh, in the newsletter. So go to texaspolicy.com/slash/the-post and sign up for that. Uh, to stay on top of everything. We're also excited to launch a new product. I think late last week, uh, we started a new video series with our CEO, Greg Sindelar, where he's going to be able to sit down and do in-depth discussion with policymakers. And so it is creatively called Policymakers with uh, with Greg Sindelar. Uh, the first one is already out, so you can go to our YouTube page and you can see that. He sits down with Representative Tom Oliverson. Uh, Tom Oliverson, Representative Oliverson, has been in the middle of a number of, of big debates, uh, probably the singular one, 
known most has been the the gender modification. He's got the bill that's that's moving and is the the speaker priority in the House. Um, and but he's been in the middle of lots of other issues. But you know, the first half of it, we sit down and actually get to know the person a little bit um, and, and kind of what motivates them to be a lawmaker and to, and to get into policy. Uh, so we're very excited about that new product. So you can again see that on our YouTube page, and we'll have those out uh, fairly regularly with him. Uh, and then finally, this week I recorded a um, a new podcast on my personal podcast on Brian's breakdown, uh, talking about the package of of bills, border security bills that is moving through the Capitol, both on the House and the Senate side. I sat down with Josh Trevino, uh, who's one of our senior folks here, um, and he kind of walked us through some of the bills and kind of what's behind that and where they're all going. So please check that out. Again, that's on our YouTube page and on your various podcast uh, subscribing services. All right, so later on in the show, we are going to go into in depth into some new polling. We uh, we got our new poll back, um, and want to talk a little bit about um, about that that uh, border security package uh, that's going through the House and kind of where uh, the Texans are on those issues. So we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. Uh, our top topics are going to be kind of the legislation that's being hit this week, um, explicit materials in libraries. There's been a lot of movement on that legislation, uh, the Death Star bill, which I will <laughs> let uh, which I will let Derek talk about uh, in depth, uh, eliminating DEI on on public university at public universities uh, was this week, and then we'll get into some election integrity, some election reforms uh, a little bit later. Uh, but first, of course, as always, we want to get into our ledge land update uh, with what's going on. Uh, first, I want to just ask you, um, you know, tell us a little bit about, about progress in both the House and the Senate. Mm. There's kind of some barbs being thrown back about, you know, who's moving faster than than who the House mm. versus the Senate. Yeah. Is that a real debate? Is that a real controversy? Uh, and if so, you know, what does it mean in terms of the Senate being ahead of the House? Right. It, is it a real controversy? Yes. Is it one that is largely avoidable? That, I think, is the open question. I'm not really sure um, how the House could be uh, more um, expeditious. It would have to do something along the lines of um, being a lot more tight with some of the chairmanships uh, or some of the chairmen uh, allowing uh, testimony to run long, you know, just having, you know, sampled most of the House committees so far this year. Uh, a lot of the chairmen are letting are letting the public speak. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that is to be lauded, but there's a downside effect, and that is that, you know, when I'm when I'm channeling over at eleven thirty at night, mm-hmm. it you know that we're still we're still in those hearings. Um, obviously, the Senate is a much more uh, deliberative body. You know, they t- debate in committees tend to be a little more staid and a little more uh, a little quicker. Um, but they also, also have just less members, right? Isn't that probably a, a there's less of members, it? less bills, and that is certainly something. And fewer committees, mm-hmm. uh, not this massive funnel that everything gets uh, that gets everything gets. Uh, kind of you know lumped in before they go to the floor in the calendars committee they don't have a, a f- they don't have a functional equivalent at least in the process they do in the house mm-hmm. uh, but that being said is yet yeah, the senate is just you know with the its own you know internal makeup is just easier to run mm-hmm. uh, and that's not to say it's easy to run by any means I'm, I'm sure it's <laughs> I'm sure hurting 31 cats versus 149 cats is equally as difficult uh, as the, the first cat out of the bag as it were um, but that being said is you know the senate both chambers create their own rules and how they go about business, um, and the lieutenant governor named his top thirty uh, his top thirty items, put bill numbers on them, said what they will do, and you know has internally prioritized them. Uh, again, the, the speaker has done that as well. Again, specifically in items like technology, school content standards. Um, but even when having declared uh, having declared something one of his priorities, the had this the again the usual friction procedural headwinds. Um, 
being what they are, plus the very formalized process we have in the house, mm-hmm. it's no it's no surprise that that's why it, that that it's taking longer. Now, at other times uh, at, in previous sessions, more bills had been moved at this particular uh, junction, and I think that does bear some mention. But you also have to look at what some of the things uh, that they're working on are. You know, I know they're you know they just get received the and voted out uh, of committee. Uh, the gender modification bills. So now there are two identical gender modification bills in calendars as we speak. Mm-hmm. Um, they work that tech agenda. They also have a very robust uh, public and school safety agenda as mm-hmm. well. And while the lieutenant governor has identified, you know, we want our school safety uh, proposals to contain X, Y, and Z, you know, the speaker carved out an entire separate committee sent a lot of that stuff there now the problem of course though is it borrows as i mentioned before it borrows from the public safety committee a lot of the members overlap with the community safety committee right um and so you can only set so many days where you know people can only go so many sleepless nights uh and then still still come back to kick out some bills so Mm -hmm. that tends to be the problem is again it's I think there is a, especially with some of the, the heavier stuff, the, the school and community safety stuff, there is this impetus to really give it a full hearing. And in doing so, that is a substantial investment of time. You know, it reminds me a little bit of, of early on in the presidential contest and like a presidential uh, you know, race when those things start getting heated up. There's, there's so little to, to measure, right? There's so little to evaluate in terms of, uh, you know, what, what's being passed or how, you know, the kind of progress that's being made that this idea that we're, we're going to count bills uh, that we voted through it seems almost a little arbitrary in terms of of uh, you know it's creating controversy but they, they've got to cover something and they've yeah. got to agree create some you know they meaning uh, it could be the media it could be just pundits could be uh, the House and Senate members themselves or the leadership thereof um, but there's there is really a there isn't much to evaluate necessarily and so this idea that like oh we're ahead of you or we're behind mm. you um, you know I guess it's I guess it is significant in terms of uh, the pace and kind of where we yeah. are you know between now and, and signing die, but it's really just sort of a manufactured kind of controversy. I mean, at the end of the day, everybody expects all the major legislation and all the major issues to get addressed, get to the floor, get to the various, you know, get the various votes, the respective votes they need, and then ultimately get something to the, the, all, the governor. Uh, all legislative controversies outside of a very few, and some that are fairly ascendant at the moment are manufactured controversies. <laughs> but that does bring up this this issue of pace does, in fact, um, you know, feed into whether or not we're going to have special sessions, right, mm-hmm. or a special session. Um, you know, right now, putting on your prognostication hat and putting on your your odds making. Well, I, I can tell you, I don't think green that, eye I, shade. Yeah, the gambling bills aren't going to pass, so I don't think I'm uh, <laughs> one to put down wagers, man. Um, but if you, you know, if you if you could, um, you know, evaluate that mm-hmm. uh, right now in terms of you know the, this idea that you know we're getting close to signing die, some things get backed up. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, what are we thirty some odd days now, or forty some odd days? Um, <sighs> you know, what do you think the, the prospects are then for a special session, and uh, maybe perhaps what issue do you think would be the the reason why we'd have a special session well and, and again i think we need to be very sober the way we look at this i think there's only a handful of issues that if unaddressed uh would uh, force the governor to, uh, to to call a special session and he's been very forthright about this mm-hmm. you know he mentioned school choice he mentioned property tax uh, and a handful of other issues then we heard it reported um, that the lieutenant governor had said, uh, what was it? He, with the quote that he had, that uh, he can't call a special session, but he can force one. Yeah. Um, right. Which, of course, <laughs> when uh, when uh, when he said that, uh, I think a lot of people just heard the uh, the months of uh, July and August just disappear, like yeah. like just snap out of existence. Like Thanos had something to say about it. Don't make uh, your uh, your summer vacation plans just yet. Ex- exactly. But like, but th- but that being said, is the 
the incongruence of pace, the you know the 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 fields apart, like we say, you know, we talked weekly about on property taxes. They do not have a a good uh, consensus yet, or hmm. anywhere close outside of the the compression mechanism. But of course, them being different amounts in the compression mechanism because they have the other parts for their particular uh, property tax package. So that's a problem, and that's a problem. That's something that needs to be resolved. I'm fairly confident it will get resolved. will get resolved in time. I'm hopeful. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I wouldn't think that that might, you know, be the trigger. Now, that is, uh, school choice, maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe if the, uh, you know, you asked me prior that if, what I thought the pr- uh, prognosis of that is. I'm still very bullish on it. I would still say, I think we're going to get, I just give you 80% odds that we're going to get some form of school choice. Now, whether that'll be... A good, you know, enough to satisfy the governor. We'll see, mm-hmm. um, but I do think that the movement we've seen thus far, I'm not worried that that'll be resolved. You know, <laughs> within a year ending in three. So yeah. <laughs> at the very least, uh, I don't know if that's damning with faint praise mm-hmm. or yeah. And you and you kind of segued into it again, and I wanted to ask you about this too. Is also you know haven't heard much really on or at least any movement or any substantive movement uh, on the property tax debate. Mm-hmm. They've you know last couple of weeks there certainly have been uh, some bills that were passed, and and that's kind of where we're at now. We haven't really seen any movement mm-hmm. um, in in terms of is anything going on behind the scenes that you know give us any hope that that property tax bills uh, might actually get done in the next few weeks. Yeah, no, I again, it, it, this is all this all happens every session. Um, you it, the, the issue changes and the uh, el- the magnitude of disagreement might change, but the House and the Senate not seeing eye to eye on a particular public policy proposal is nothing new. Mm-hmm. Um, our and the grandstanding, yeah, yeah, even from leadership, is nothing new on on big issues. Yeah, and I and I can absolutely tell you that meetings are going on, some that we've been a part of in in kind of finding that common ground in the middle and so when you have the and again i, I don't want to keep going back to the mechanics of of these discussions it's okay this is an insider but, podcast you know you can this is, we can get in the weeds a little bit so anyway let me tell you how buy down compression works now, <laughs> but, but like, at the very least they agree on and have put several billion dollars towards that that buy down mechanism. So the fact that we at least agree that there needs to be some sort of compression of local tax levies yeah. is it's a starting point. Mm-hmm. Now, again, you know, then you have the mechanism of are we going? Are we going via exemptions? Or are we going by valuations? And that's, you know, that's the hard part. Of course, you could do all of them, but like, but yeah. of course, that would change the constituent number and the and how much everybody would benefit in each little particular bucket. Mm-hmm. But that being said, is that, that kernel of agreement that a property taxes are too high, and I think nobody here is disputing that, and b. Not only are property taxes too high, but that most of those are being assessed at the, or I'm not not assessed, but the uh, levy is coming from the local level, and that's why they need to be addressed via compression. That's that foothold that I think they need to actually negotiate. And then you know, and you you will be surprised when it gets into the you know conference season. You know, the last mm-hmm. you know last week or so of session. 
people start finding common ground really, really quickly when their uh, when their boating plans are in jeopardy. Yeah, because I mean, uh, the end of session is a real deadline. I mean, unlike mm-hmm. Congress, where we have fake deadlines all the time, you mm-hmm. know, do a Fourth of July recess. Mm-hmm. Oh, we have to do something before you're going to be back here in ten days. You know, mm-hmm. like there's not a real uh, deadline. But th- for the for the uh, state legislature, particularly in Texas, where we only meet every two years mm-hmm. and for five months at a time, these are real deadlines. If you don't Absolutely. get it done, uh, then you know you got to go home and you got to explain it to your constituents why you didn't do what you said you were going to do. So uh, that is a real deadline and that is a real motivating factor. Mm-hmm. All right. So we will keep an eye on property tax um, uh, as things go through. So I want to get to a few big issues that happened in the last week. Um, I think w- one of the big floor debates that happened uh, in the House was the the bill, uh, what's called the Reader Act. This is uh, Representative Jared Patterson's bill that targets sexually explicit material in public school libraries. So mm-hmm. that was a big floor debate. They had a vote on it. Uh, I, won't, I won't give away the uh, the, um, uh, the the big surprise at the end. Uh, <laughs> but why don't you take us through a little bit about how that debate went um, over that bill? Well, to be honest with you, I would almost push back on your characterization that it was a big debate. I was I was shocked, especially after what happened the day prior on uh, on preemption, which I'm sure we'll discuss later as well. You know, I was shocked how short of a time that was on the floor for something that they had. You know basically drummed up to being like you know Fahrenheit uh, you know 451 right. but for but for school libraries and, and again you know we don't need to go into the mechanics of the bill too deeply because obviously what it's sold as and what it actually does is you know miles and miles apart mm-hmm. long story short what this does is it gives some form of uh, autonomy and control to the parents of a, of a school district that if there's if there's naughty stuff in their libraries that there is at least a path and a recourse towards getting that getting that corrected or at least having a forum in which to do that we're not just you know being completely unilaterally subservient to whatever that particular librarian wants to put in there yeah because i don't recall anybody electing that particular librarian and if Mm -hmm. they have content standards for themselves or what they would like to see in schools or elementary schools or middle schools and or see what those kids get exposed to that's not up to them. That's that's not what they are. You know, curating a uh, curating a catalog of materials for sexual exploration, that is going to rub many parents the wrong way. Absolutely. And the fact that like we are seeing example after example, and you know some of the things that we've seen tweeted out, uh, you know, just as examples of things that are being found in libraries, like I absolutely shocked you know we, we can talk about how this, this senate went ahead and banned porn for minors anyway but yeah. now they you know yeah. but they'll go ahead and defend their ability to get it in a school library mm-hmm. uh, or some some uh, people will defend it to get it in a school library it's just absolutely insane so like i said it was up uh, for the first time yesterday kind of, i think it came up uh, around noon or so on the yeah. floor and yeah it was interesting and there were people it, it this is not a uh, this is not a party line split I believe the final vote on second reading was 11 Democrats, if I recall correctly. And that's that's what I think is the big, um, you know, the big message out of here is that there were that it was it ended up being bipartisan. It's only you know 10 or 11 Democrats, but considering a lot of the bills that have have, have generated controversy, that's a lot. Yeah, and and I you know I have nothing but uh, credit to give uh, Democrat members like uh, Sean Thierry, who. You know, her tweet in defense of her vote was absolutely spot on. It said, look, I voted my district. Mm-hmm. And then she went on to list the, the many, many grievances of books that she had seen. Yeah. And, you know, that is absolutely, absolutely laudable. And, you know, we might disagree with 
uh, Miss Terry, on, on a number of issues, and you, you agree with her on, on many as well, specifically some of the workforce development ones. Mm-hmm. Um, but she, you know, she voted her district, she articulated her vote, and then she, you know, stood by it. And that's that's how this is supposed to work. And then, of course, you know, we've seen the usual. I don't. I don't even know what. You, it's not the press, but whatever you would consider tabloids. What would you consider Texas Monthly these days? <laughs> yeah, well, um, it's pretty close. Because propaganda was, for sure. Well, we saw their uh, their political editor out there. You know, basically rending garments and gnashing teeth um, about that, saying that the G- the Texas House GOP was just steamrolling through things. Uh, I would say I looked at the two different chambers. That was not the. You know, that was not the. the, the was it your take? Yeah, it wasn't my take. Um, Again, because they're having these deliberate, sober discussions. But at the end of the day, you know, you know, we talk a lot about school choice because I think math needs some supplementation if you can't count to 76, um, which <laughs> seems like a lot of these folks seem to neglect how to do. But I was even when they rang the bell on that, I was in uh, one of our colleagues office and I go, do you think they're going to get 100 on this? And he goes, they might. And they almost did. Yeah, 92. They, I just I, the, the thing that there are two things on this bill um, that, that I have to highlight. Number one, I mean, you mentioned it a little bit. Um, um, earlier, I'm not sure it was the House or the Senate, but what they did take up a bill where uh, you know it, it it had age restrictions for porn websites, mm-hmm. right? So you had to prove that you were over 18 in order to get in order to be able to access um, these sexually explicit websites. I mean, every, almost every Democrat voted for that. Every, everyone did. That was a 31 nothing bill in the Senate. Thir- yeah, uh, it was in the Senate. 31 yeah. to nothing. The Democrats vote, and yet when it comes to similar sexually explicit material in school libraries now all of a sudden that's something to defend and i just don't i haven't seen i've been looking but i've been trying to uh, trying to understand the differences between Mm. a minor um uh, you know uh, accessing sexually explicit material online and then and then being able to go into a school library and access similar or that same type of material and so i i I don't understand the the difference so that's number one and number two again this is and this is something that i talk about on the podcast all the time so i'll say it again which is just the the just the bad faith arguments that are being Mm -hmm. made on the left and again i don't understand why you you see the books that were that they're talking about i mean jerry patterson has a has a you know a huge list of books mm. that have you know material about rapes and and, and you know incest and uh, all kinds of, of stuff that I wouldn't want you know a ten year old or eleven year old to have access to particularly without their parents' knowledge mm-hmm. um, uh, and so those are the kinds of materials that that we're that they're obviously targeting and yet these bad faith arguments oh well this bill is so broad that it might include you know the catcher in the rye or you know Ulysses or some of mm. these like classic books mm. you know that and and even if that if that's the case if that is true that you think it's that broad then fine work to fix the bill but making that argument as a yeah. reason to vote against the bill yeah. uh, rather than working to make it better and at least agreeing that we have a real issue with sexually explicit material ending up in public school libraries available to kids that shouldn't be available to them without their parents knowledge they won't even acknowledge that that's a real issue here in texas despite all of the evidence that it's true it, it, but this this reflects kind of the national you know, kind of the national political alignment more broadly, uh, wherein uh, you know party Democrats are more of a or more of a broad, a, you know, a broad coalition of, of fairly disparate interests. I, I would say, and you know, uh, you know, when you have the individual who you know got their master's degree in, in library studies and says, no, we need these in schools because that's all they know is basically having an, a, you know, the library is the you know the the sole font of knowledge. 
within the public <laughs> education system or what have you, then, you know, that's a member of the coalition needs to get defended. But obviously, as we've seen, I think there was, again, like 11 Democrats who said that the hell it is. Um, and, and again, you know, this... Uh, it got it got painted as you know this is you know we're gonna start the the bonfires mm-hmm. go grab the books you know go grab lonesome dove or whatever it is and it's and on it goes but it's like that that's not even indicative of how the actual bills are. and I mean like stuff as far as like the actual retailers of or the the people that sell the book to the libraries have to have some sort of you know flag on it if it has hard, right. uh, that kind of content in it. If you're against content transparency, I just don't know if there's any talking to these people at this point. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's one thing that the bill does it is, is it does put it on put the onus on the people who are providing these materials mm. to have some kind of check on their side to say, well, you know, we saw something in this book. At the very least, should be able to flag it for administrators and school officials to say, okay, let's let's check it out and make sure that it meets our standard uh, for a public library. So mm-hmm. anyway. I'm glad to see that that some Democrats did cross the party line and and vote for the bill. So it's now in the House, make its way into the Senate, and potentially uh, be moving there pretty soon. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, second issue, and I'll just let you go ahead and set this one up. <laughs> Tell us about the Death Star bill. Yeah. So this is just a basically a construction code regulation on exhaust ports. Um, <laughs> you know, very very susceptible to uh, proton torpedoes, as you know. That is an inside Star Wars joke. I yeah. Don't, I, I, don't, I don't know that I even got that. Yeah. I will soon. not. I will not. I, I won't. <laughs> stop Brian I will be I will nerd out on uh, Star Wars whenever <laughs> given the opportunity but all that all that kidding it was called the, the you know you mentioned Death Star uh, is a joke but that's how uh, I believe it was di- discuss, uh, discussed in the Houston Chronicle if I recall yeah the Would regulatory you, consistency act is what it's uh, technically called but yeah. they called it the Death Star bill. yeah well, they called it the Death Star because they were saying oh this is like the the thing that's going to just destroy everything because the parade of horribles that um, people have uh, identified as what this bill would preempt. Basically, it's a field exe- a field preemption. So, yeah, take taking- us through it real quick. Sure, sure, sure. And know. so this bill's been around for at least th- two prior legislative sessions, if not three. Mm-hmm. Um, and what this seeks to do is have the most core elements of a of, of business's vitality, a livelihood, Basically have those being routine and predictable, whether you're in Harris County or Hudspeth County or Travis County or Titus County. They're all going to be the same. Uh, whereas if the state has a particular um, a particular regulation on an area, then that's the controlling regulation. Um, you know, we see things, everything from... You know, the locals had tried to make, uh, you know, gun-free zones in places that weren't eligible to be that. Mm-hmm. Um, they were trying to... Well, just right now, San Antonio is about to go and try and make abortion illegal for San Antonio. There, there's mm-hmm. a Proposition A or whatever that's going to be voted on next month mm-hmm. to make abortion legal in San Antonio when clearly there's state law against uh, 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 allow, allow me to, well, you know, allow me to yeah. quibble. Uh, they would say, oh, no, we're just diverting all of our enforcement efforts and mechanisms to, uh, to other things. Which, of course, I mean, that'd be great, but, uh, you know, less time I checked, uh, you know, it's not that uh, crime in uh, San Antonio um, is, you know, is, is a lot is, is far suppressed because you know than that it is here you know same thing because it's you know we have these liberal DAs that again are going to address this particular legislative session but all that to be say it's the same thing when they tried to do uh, that with Austin and, and marijuana mm-hmm. and they had that ballot initiative like we're going to enforce every you know this is the last thing that we will that we will enforce as a matter of prioritization well and I, of course I pointed out I was like you know Pat you know 
congrats to Weedle Lobby, pats on your back. But, um, you know, uh, also play people that, well, now officially DPS patrols Austin, yeah. whereas before they still had jurisdiction there but didn't have an active patrol uh, presence. Uh, ISD police, uh, they happen to find a little bit of weed in schools nowadays, believe it or not. Um, and, but anyway, back to the bill. Yeah, all that to say. <laughs> All that to say is basically when they're trying to do that, they're trying to basically circumvent or nullify state policy or adding on additional onerous layers of state policy, whatever. So whether it's uh, the hiring process and what you can ask in an interview or whether how you regulate certain businesses, even though many businesses um, have been carved out of that, including from puppy mills to um, uh uh, you know, certain sexually explicit um, businesses, or I'm sorry, sexually oriented businesses, those, you know, a lot of those have been grandfathered in. But essentially says, look, if we have regulation at the state in whatever area this might be, we are going to, um, you know, the state one is going to prevail. That's and so, going to be the consistent law of the land so that yeah. when you open up, you know, when you try to expand your business from San Antonio to Austin to Dallas yeah. or to, to Lubbock, you're not having to deal with 50 different types of regulations based on where it is that you happen to open up your business. And, and you, and you, but, like, again, the pushback, and this, I believe it was, who was the particularly clownish group that was, I think it was the AFL-CIO, um, and their, their big pushback was, well, this is going to ban water breaks. It's going to ban water. So, so in other words, we, we'd be bre- breaking the law once this bill passes because we're, we're we're drinking water, which you know, as you know, is within the purview of state regulation. But no, their their tortured logic to get there is the the city or municipality uh, can't mandate water breaks for. Um, for the employees. The employees can still have water breaks. In fact, good luck trying to actually keep people on a construction site, especially with this current hiring environment, if you're not offering the you know the basic human dignity of, of a water break. Right. What you can't do is say with you know Austin and the, the paid sick leave and, and things like that, that you can actually dictate how a company runs its actual employment operations right. uh, because you happen to be a, a progressive city council that's been captured by just a radical fringe. You know, part of this... Is- uh, is you know cities for over the past two or three years I mean especially and I don't know why many cities in in Texas want to do this but apparently they look at what's going on in places like San Francisco and LA and Chicago and think yeah that's what we should be doing and so Mm -hmm. whether it's you know the 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 homeless uh, explosion of the the homeless population in Austin the last two or three years Mm -hmm. because of their policies on ending the camping ban which I personally lived through living downtown and watching Mm -hmm. uh, totally explode and become completely unsafe to, to walk six blocks in downtown thank goodness it took we finally reversed it but it took two years i mean just watching that one issue alone you think who are these idiots that are running the city council and run, you know and, and, and mayor and all of that uh, creating these public safety issues mm-hmm. uh, um, you know unnecessarily and so you've got public safety problems um, you obviously have you know regulations on businesses that are making it harder for them to keep their doors open and to, and to hire people and they look at places like san francisco and, and la and mm-hmm. chicago and think oh yeah these are the bastions of what we want to become Mm. You know, the vast majority of Texans don't want to be San Francisco or Mm. Chicago. And the idea that that the cities would make those kinds of changes or make those kinds Mm. of uh, decisions and that the state legislature would just sit by and let it happen, uh, I think is really absurd. I think is uh, I think it's look, they've brought it upon themselves. Um, Like Mm. you said, this has been something that has been uh, pitched and and discussed uh, the last two or three sessions. Mm. And because of the activities of these uh, left wing crazy city 
council and city councils and mayors, um, it has become such an issue that now, you know, it is an idea for whose time has come. Um, and that's why it was debated. And I think that's why it was passed. And so, um, look, I think um, I think it, it I think you can look at this and think, well, you know, local government, why aren't they able to make, you know, their own decisions based on, uh, you know, what, what their communities want, what their communities need, um, which I don't think, to, to your point, that they're stopping them from doing. I think that they are, that communities can still continue to make decisions. You just can't go outside mm-hmm. the parameters of what the state says is acceptable mm-hmm. because we're trying to make sure that there's a consistency from jurisdiction to jurisdiction yeah. and also that the public is not put in any any kind of jeopardy or any kind of harm because of cutting police funding or or you know letting the homeless population explode. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, uh, any more on uh, on that from the, the legislature perspective? It goes to the Senate now, I guess? No, yeah, I, I think that also, much like you had with the, the Reader Act, you had several Democrats on that as well, and I think the margin as a percentage of the uh, caucus over in the Senate will probably be even greater who signed oh. onto that bill. Okay, so I want to get to kind of our last issue that we'll talk about in top topics is the elimination of DEI uh, mm-hmm. at public universities. We talked about this a little bit, uh, but it's finally happened. This is the Senate bill, mm-hmm. um, and essentially what it, it prevents is, uh, I guess it prevents funding for any uh, d- diversity, what is it, diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, you know, which I call division, uh, exclusion, and indoctrination. Um, you know, we've talked about, you know, the, the, the debate on this is I think the left hides behind diversity obviously they you know diversity is a good thing um, but what these programs have ultimately become essentially is coercion for a radical leftist ideology and imposing that and indoctrinating that with faculty and and with students the the most pernicious of these practices that we've talked about here before are these diversity statements which basically bar anyone from getting uh, from getting hired into faculty unless you commit yourself to uh, to these practices now, why a biology teacher or a physics teacher who just wants to teach every one of his students, uh, you know, the the principles of, of science, uh, needs to then commit themselves constantly on this, you know, on this other track uh, to, you know, to critical race theory or any of these other things? Uh, no one knows why that is necessarily an, an important mm-hmm. thing. I think you've got uh, teachers who just want to go in and teach their subject. Mm-hmm. Uh, why they would have to commit to these diversity statements? Uh, no one really knows why, other than they just want to make sure the university want to make sure that they're only hiring one sort of mm-hmm. uh, of, of leftist uh, for these for these positions so that has led to um, and we've seen we've seen studies that have that have backed this up that has led to um, you know less viewpoint diversity uh, certainly less discovery uh, and, and and absolutely less free speech on campus and so that's what these that's what this bill is aimed at um, uh, is aimed at fixing so mm-hmm. how did the debate go and in your mind um, you know how, how, do you think this is going to move over in the house yeah and, and again it's the usual it's the usual straw manning uh that you've seen and that you know th- this bill says look we're outlawing this completely wasteful use of public funds in the university setting uh for a group of administrators who have absolutely no portfolio um other you know and no real kpis to the value that they had to the educational process you know, saying that look, that's we're, th- those days are done. You know, if you want to seek, you know, you know, diversity, you should do that. What you don't need is a a hundred administrator department in which to do it. Right. Um, and that's and that's essentially the problem. It's this does not affect 
the actual criteria of admission or, or anything like that. But what this says is you basically can't have these make-work sinecures for people that do not otherwise contribute to the mission of a university. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's that's something that should be lauded because we've seen, you know, this the absolute skyrocketing of the cost to educate um, a young adult at this point, if we're talking to universities, the co- you know, and all I wouldn't say all of it, but a great deal of that is driven by administrative bloat. This is the kind of stuff that drives administrative bloat. Now, there's other, um, uh, we'll, we'll call them uh, student affairs personnel, um, at least as we called it uh, affectionately back in uh, Bowling Green, because uh, the school that produced a lot of those folks who, again, they're, they're, ambit within the entire higher education structure is the student experience mm-hmm. the student's experience should be to learn what he's what he or she has decided to major in and mm-hmm. excel and master that particular coursework not whether or not they feel the lazy river is inclusive enough <laughs> well and that's that to that point we're now starting to see some evaluations of dei programs and it's only really started we've started to see some reports and other research that's come out that if the idea is is that dei programs are supposed to improve, improve diversity uh, for the purposes of making people people feel included um, and not excluded the 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 reality is it doesn't work mm-hmm. because uh, again we've got reports that, that have come out that we've talked about before where you have they've asked they've surveyed the student body and they talk about it and they've asked them what issues are more di- are the most difficult to talk about and race relations and racial issues are the number one most uh, most difficult to talk about and that's increased uh, over the last four or five years that these DEI programs have exploded all mm-hmm. across the country well and, and and not only that but you know we'll it, it all kind of belies well if you have an underprivileged uh, you know, class, you know, then it, then it makes logical sense that obviously you would want to uh, help the help afford themselves access to a college degree, because as we all know, a college degree means higher income. But the problem is, and this I got to point to the work of our own Andrew Gillen on this, because he's written about this extensively, is that you don't actual, you know, a college degree per se is not what causes that, you know, increase in lifetime uh, earning. You know, there are a lot there are a lot of well-credentialed baristas uh, <laughs> out there. But they also lump in a lot of the folks who, you know, are doctors and lawyers and have really high-end terminal degrees. They would still be in that set versus the folks who, you know, say went into the trades. And, and like I said, I know for a fact that there are, you know, friends of mine who graduate high school with me who are, you know, who went into the trades and are <laughs> doing you know, doing quite well from this, making, you know, well in excess of, you know, what we make, um, even though, you know, I have several college degrees. <laughs> and again, because it's not the college degree in and of itself that actually leads to the, the income and earnings potential. It's how you use it. You know, we could give and everybody a free, skills and all that. Yeah, we can give everybody tomorrow a, a, a paper that says you've completed all prerequisites in the field of underwater basket weaving. And it would not at all change the dynamic of the workforce unless we have a great underwater basket weaver shortage. <laughs> and then in which I withdraw. But but that being said is, again, it's college is not for everyone, as we've said. This is something that is basically a sandcastle built on top of that. Um, I, I would question the structure, the structural integrity of a basket that was weaved underwater, for starters. Well, was, the old joke <laughs> is that that was one of the most uh, prevalent majors of Ohio State football players. So there's other... There's other structural issues with that that I would question, call into question as well. But of course, now, now that's a good example because most of them are all millionaires because they go to the NFL because <laughs> they have such a good football team. 
Okay. <laughs> they go to the millionaire. They go to the NFL as millionaires too, but we can talk about that later. <laughs> so, all right. So in the last few minutes, um, uh, I want to discuss, we, we talked about um, the, the border security package mm-hmm. uh, the last week uh, that's moving through the House and the Senate um, package of bills. Uh, and so we, you know, we do a lot of polling here. It's one of my favorite subjects. I talk about it all the time. Uh, we, we've got some results back. I want to share with you and get your uh, feedback on this. Um, so there's a couple of bills that the two most controversial ones we'll start with, which are um, HB 20, which is the bill that creates the Border Protection Unit. Uh, we asked people, you know, they support or oppose that. The Border Protection Unit got 60% support of Texans, and this is Texas registered voters all across Texas. So 60% of Texans support the Border Patrol uh, Unit, and just 29% oppose it. Uh, and then the second one I'll mention is HB 1600, which makes it a state offense to illegally enter Texas. Uh, that was 61% support, while 33% oppose. Again, a two to one in favor uh, of both of those bills, and those are the ones that get the, the most attention. You know, why do you think Texans are supporting those two bills? It's almost like you're trying to tell me that Twitter is not real life. It is not. It is now, in fact not. Because I think, to be honest with you, and this this goes to a conversation that uh, I had. This was back in October of of, of last year, uh, which had somebody visiting from out of town, and I was telling her. You know, it, it, she was asking, from Chicago and was mm-hmm. asking about, uh, you know, border relations and, and things like that. And I made I made the remark, I go, the like a Valley Democrat, at least, you know, kind of speaking in generalities, but a Valley Democrat uh, that w- today is going to be more hawkish on border questions than many middle of the pack, you know, conservative Republicans, Mm -hmm. just because of the the experience, the lived experience that they have going on down there. And I think that, you know, once, you know, a lot of the border issues don't make national news all that much. I mean, obviously, you know, if the big numbers do, right? When the the new numbers come out every month, it's like, oh, we've had more than last month. It'll get its play on Fox or, you know, the the folks on the right get trot that out and folks on the left say, look, kids in cages again. Can you believe Trump's doing this even though he (laughs) hasn't been uh, elected for, uh, you know, two and a half years? Um, But yeah, it's it's one of these things where it's a real, real issue to people that have to live it Mm -hmm. or people that are, you know, close to border regions and see it. And they say, yeah, and, and I think that it's opening the tolerance of some of the some of the individual, the respondents here are getting from the I have a suite of policy proposals I would like to see enacted to just do something at this yeah, point. Right. You know, if you want to if you want to, you know, fill it with sharks with lasers, you know, fill the river with sharks with lasers on your head. It's all, I mean, that's almost preferable to the status quo, which is absolutely nothing. And, and to, your, to your earlier point um, about those communities, uh, 55% of Hispanics did support the Border Protection Unit as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because we're fed up. I mean, Texans are fed up. Policymakers are fed up. Certainly the border communities are fed up uh, waiting for something to happen, you know, waiting for the federal government to show up when it is clear that they're not sending mm-hmm. help and they're not doing anything substantive. Uh, the other big uh, controversial issue uh, which we tested uh, was whether or not it would qualify as an invasion. And we talked about what the invasion um, definition means here you know maybe people, some people understand it maybe they don't but at any rate uh, f- um, now fully a majority of Texans say that uh, the crisis has reached the point that it could be called an invasion that's 53 percent that is up from 45 percent last fall so you're seeing some significant mm-hmm. movement in the direction of wanting to declare it an invasion which yeah. we've talked about opens up uh, new authorities and new tactics and tools for yeah. the governor to use yeah ex- exactly and I think that and, and I think that some of the nuances lost there on the the, the, the definitional 
what what an invasion is versus what the the popular conception but that that almost proves the point is, is the fact that you know we're saying it's ingress plus en, enmity and then we're describing it in a way of well this is how certain actions can be taken in order to 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 arrest that situation meanwhile again people are not sitting here looking at the law of armed conflict and going hmm this actually is a good one but the UCMJ then says this yeah, right. and you know they're not looking at that they're going I'm I'm fed up you know, we're, we're getting, you know, all sorts of quality of life issues, not only down on the border, but throughout the entire state because of this. We just need that situation solved. And these are people that I would bet, uh, on, you know, asking in parallel immigration questions are all over the board. You know, mm-hmm. you probably have folks that are immigration hawks and then you probably have uh, uh, people that are definitely like, well, throw open the gates, just make sure they check in on the way in. But uh, again, they're like, but this whole, you know, unsolicited, unsecure situation needs to stop. So the last two that I'll mention uh, that I'll get your uh, opinions on are uh, Texans want Texas to go after the real villains here. And the Mm -hmm. real villains here obviously are the cartels, Mm -hmm. the cartels who are doing the drug smuggling, who are doing the the human smuggling, and then also the corrupt officials Mm -hmm. over in Mexico. I mean, at this point, we all know it's it's almost almost an open secret Mm -hmm. that uh, the Mexican government officials and elites over there are working hand-in-hand with the cartels uh, to scratch each other's back. And and Texans want our laws. Again, if the federal government's not going to do this job, the Texans want our laws to be able to uh, to uh, target and and to eliminate the activity of the cartels. Um, specifically, 78% said that we should be targeting corrupt Mexican elites and other corrupt and dangerous foreign nationals doing business here inside of Texas. So that mm-hmm. 78% say that we should be able to go after to you know collect their assets to you know to prevent them from uh, doing uh, financial transactions mm-hmm. with our banks. I mean, cut off their lifelines to money uh, and resources that are on this side of the border. Uh, the other one is 80% want to see higher penalties for drug and human smugglers. I don't know who the 20% are or however many it is who don't want to see higher penalties for drug and human smugglers, maybe the cartels and their families that are already over here. Um, but nevertheless, we're, you know, there is a, there is a, what it says is that there is a push to say, look, we need to throw the book. We need to go after the people mm-hmm. who are, in, who are responsible for this. Uh, and they want to see aggressive and immediate action. Yeah. And, and I, and I think again, when you start talking about the spreads on those that 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 quickly becomes not a partisan issue absolutely and you know when it comes to the enabling of the cartels and the elites and i know there's many mechanisms by which we actually discuss that whether or not it's uh talking about uh the way we can situate our organized crime statutes uh so that a you know actions of a cartel would then count similar to the actions of say a street gang Mm -hmm. that'd be one action but then we also talk about the angle list um which would basically be starting a state registry of these people that have been found with due process of course to have been, you know, involved with the cartels and with the illicit drug or human trade, and then having basically a prohibition to, um, you know, against that. And of course, how was this reported in the news? Uh, GOP files bills to uh, basically start a hot war with Mexico, and and, and again, it's not anything like that. In fact, we, would, I believe if you ask anybody that voted in the 80% or what have you, they would say, no, we would want a partnership, a functional, mm-hmm. bi- you know, bilateral partnership with Mexico on this, because we're not going to, I mean, we can only do so much stuff from this side of the river. There's only so much that we can do. But that being said is if we had a cooperative partner across the river, 
then we could do a whole lot more that wouldn't require so much stuff being done on this side. However, this is the only side um, that we are left with any form of control over. And, you know, Mexico, obviously, both at the, uh, you know, the state and federal level has not been a very cooperative partner. You know, we could go, you know, I'm sure Josh, when he was on your podcast, uh, talked a whole bunch about how AMLO came in as one thing and is going out as something else. Um, right. Um, so, yeah, I'll leave that to that podcast. But needless to say, is we don't have a credible partner on the other side. So this is all basically what we have to do. I think in, in you know, just, just writ large, what it says is, you know, Texans, you know, policymakers, the governor, others, you know, agency heads, you know, they have a lot of ground to stand on, particularly with the backing of, of, of Texans to go and be very aggressive, to, to pass these laws, to make sure that, you know, we have the legal backing for them. All of them, of course, are, are constitutional, will pass constitutional muster. I'm mm-hmm. sure there'll be there'll still be some lawsuits, right. uh, particularly over the Border Protection Unit. Uh, but at the very least, uh, Texans, you know, they have their back. They have the they have the support from Texans to go in and pursue this, uh, to take you know measures into their own hands because again, help is not coming from Washington D.C. No. No, I just uh, wish they would fight against the cartels as much as they fought against the states trying to <laughs> trying to fix their own border issues. All right, so for this podcast, we'll close and we'll leave it there. Um, uh, again, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. We've been receiving a tons of really good feedback uh, on our issues. So again, um, I should have mentioned this at the beginning, but we talk a lot about Twitter because we're always on Twitter. So. You're happy to, we're, you could easily get us there. Um, I'm at Real Phil and Derek is at Cohen at TPPF. And so if you have any ideas for things we need to talk about, or if you want to give us any constructive feedback on issues, uh, you can find us there. So as always, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. And uh, as we like to say, or as I like to always end it with Sam Houston's quote, uh, do good and risk the consequences. We'll see you next time.